Guardian Unlimited. Questions to the Prime Minister. Angela Watkinson. Mr. Speaker, sir, before listening by engagements, I know the whole House will again wish to join with me in sending our profound condolences to the family and friends of those of our service personnel who were killed in action in Iraq and Afghanistan during the Easter recess. They were Kingsman Danny Wilson of the 2nd Battalion, the Duke of Lancaster's Regiment, Rifleman Aaron Lincoln of the 2nd Battalion, the Rifles, 2nd Lieutenant Joanna York Dyer of the Intelligence Corps, Corporal Chris O'Neill and Private Eleanor de la Gorge, both of the Royal Army Medical Corps, Kingsman Adam Smith of the 2nd Battalion, the Duke of Lancaster's Regiment, and Private Chris Gray of the 1st Battalion, Royal Anglican Regiment. In addition also, I know the House will wish to send our condolences to the families and friends of Colour Sergeant Mark Powell of the Parachute Regiment and Sergeant Mark McLaren of the Royal Air Force, who were killed in the incident involving a collision between two Puma helicopters in Iraq at the weekend. All of these service personnel, and indeed those still serving, have shown heroism, dedication, and the most professional commitment to their country, and Britain owes them a deep debt of gratitude. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I will have further such meetings later today. Angela Watkinson. The Prime Minister's 10-year drug strategy is coming up for renewal, and the Independent UK Drugs Commission has reported that it isn't working. One-third of crime, much of it acquisitive and drug-related, is committed by 13 to 19-year-olds who believe that cannabis is not only legal but harmless. Now, would the Prime Minister now reverse his disastrous decision to downgrade cannabis and restore it as the drug? Well, I'm, a, I'm afraid I, I, I have to correct her. First of all, um, actually, the UK Drug Policy Commission has not found um, that there has been no progress in relation to drug policy. On the contrary, they believe there has been progress, but there remains much more to do. I would also just say to that according to the most recent British crime survey, actually drug misuse is down some 16% since 1998, and drug use among young adults is down 21%, and Class A drug use remains for the first time in a long time, as the Policy Commission points out, relatively stable. In addition to that, incidentally, we have doubled the amount of money for the treatment of people on drugs. Now, I appreciate we've still got a very great deal more to do, but it simply is not the case that we're not making either the investment or the changes that are necessary. And I may say, in relation to tougher sentences on those who are peddling drugs, many of those were contained in the 2003 Criminal Justice Act that she voted against. John Humble. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister will be well aware of the strength of feeling in Blackpool about the yeah. Casino Advisory Panel's recommendation. Yeah. Will he therefore take into account the strongly uh, expressed opinions both in this House and also in the other place that the new uh, super casino should be located in an area where the social impact will be minimised and the regeneration potential maximised? Yeah. First of all, let me say to my honourable friend, and I know she's uh, campaigned very hard on this issue indeed, that I'm entirely sympathetic to the concerns that Blackpool have expressed, and it is a pity that in the end we ended up um, with Manchester being the site for the super casino law. I think it's perfectly justified there, but then having Blackpool unable to make the regeneration plans they want to make. Now, as we've said, we will consult carefully, come back with proposals after May the 3rd, but I hope very much that we take the view that if we look 
which we have to do because of Perda, but what we need to do is to look very carefully at this issue and sensibly as a House and recognise that in a world where there is online betting, where there are huge opportunities for people to bet, that casinos, particularly when they bring with them regeneration, are not something that is against the proper norms of society, but can in places like Blackpool and Manchester bring much-needed private investment in regeneration that will help provide jobs and higher living standards for people. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to the nine servicemen and women killed in Iraq and Afghanistan since we last had Prime Minister's questions. They died serving their country, and it is a reminder of what we owe them and their families in the service that they give. There are 125,000 people who've paid into company pension schemes, who've seen them collapse, and who've been left with little or nothing. I I, I hope honourable gentlemen who are going to retire on fat pensions will actually listen because these people... Because these people, many of these people are getting nothing. Now, we we are all dealing... We are all dealing with constituency cases like these, and some of them are heartbreaking. The budget changes were welcome, but they didn't help those already retired, and they didn't speed up the payments. Today, we can help these people, and I ask the Prime Minister in a genuinely cross-party way, we've tabled, yes, we have tabled amendments to the Pensions Bill. They're signed by MPs from across the House, including his own former Pensions Minister. Will he look urgently and positively at these constructive proposals. First of all, let me just correct him on one point. We most certainly have been listening to people on this. I mean, after all, there was no financial assistance scheme, absolutely none in place for all the years of the last Conservative government when, as a result of pension mis-selling, people were in real difficulties on their pensions. So, with respect, we most certainly are listening to the plight of people. In addition, of course, we have put some £12 billion a year extra into support for pensioners. However, it is precisely because we've listened that in the budget, the Chancellor upped the scheme to, I think, £8 billion it's going to cost over the years to come, which lifts up to 80% support. 125,000 people will benefit. The problem with going still further is that we do not know that we can afford to make that commitment to people for precisely that reason, because people have raised the issue of whether there are unclaimed assets that could be used. My right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for the Department of Work and Pensions, has announced a review into that. We will look at that carefully. We will see whether it is possible to do more, but we do not believe it's responsible to make a commitment now to pensioners that we can pay them even more when we haven't got the ability at the moment to up that figure from £8 billion. David Cameron. I'm grateful for the Prime Minister's answer. The problem with uh, the budget changes is they don't help those people who've already reached retirement age. And many members will have cases, as I do, of people who've reached retirement age, some of whom are dying and aren't going to get their money, and some of them are having to go on and work. That's the problem we've got to address. Does the Prime Minister understand that so far only about 1,000 people have actually been helped? The financial assistance scheme isn't working. Won't he look at a Treasury loan? This is how we dealt with the mess that was left by the Maxwell scheme. And surely doesn't he agree that only a 1,000 people helped so far isn't good enough? As I say, some of the people are in great hardship. Surely we should act now so at least they can get some of the pension that they worked and saved so hard for. Yeah. It, it, it was, of course, 
precisely because we, we want to do what we can to help people responsibly that we have introduced these new proposals and the Pension Protection Fund and a host of other measures designed to support people. But I'm afraid that, that the position very simply is, is this. We cannot make this additional commitment unless we're sure that the finances are there in order to be able to fund it. Otherwise, we will be saying to people, yes, we can give you this additional payment when we cannot be sure until the review is published that we're able to make that commitment. And as for taking out some unspecified loan from the Treasury, we don't believe that that is a proper way to deal with this because it leaves us with a financial liability that we can't be sure that we can meet. So the issue between us is not... Who wants to help people most? Because we have already, as I say, introduced the first ever help for people in these circumstances. <laughs> However, we need to be sure that we can actually fulfil a commitment that we make to people, since it will be the cruelest thing to tell them we can make that commitment, to tell them we can bail them out, if actually it transpires that we cannot. But the, the Prime Minister says the amount is unspecified. It isn't. We know that the first year cost of doing this would be £30 million. And that would help the people who've retired and who've re hit retirement age with nothing, only a thousand of whom are being helped. Can I ask the Prime Minister specifically? We welcome the fact there's a review. Can he tell us, can it be a cross-party review? Because we, because we have a great contribution to make this. And can he tell us when he expects it to report? Now, the Prime Minister's own former pension adviser, Ros Altman, said this. She said, suddenly, we're on the verge of a breakthrough which could give these people the pension they've earned. All it needs is for enough Labour MPs to have the courage to back it. He listened to her advice in the past. Why won't he listen again now? First of all, in relation to the review, I understand it will report uh, in the summer. And although, no, we, we can't make it a cross-party view as such, but of course we're perfectly happy to listen to any ideas that are put forward by opposition parties or indeed by anyone else. But when, if I can come back to the, the nub of the issue, when he comes back and says, well, it's only a £30 million cost in the first year, that is correct, but it then builds up over time. And therefore, our worry is that we end up with an unfunded commitment that runs in actually to hundreds of millions of pounds. Actually, if we accepted the amendments today, the full cost of the amendment, I think I'm right in saying, is £2.48 billion. And we simply cannot responsibly make such a commitment until we know whether we can actually fund it. And that, with the greatest respect to them, is the difference between being in opposition and being government. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Is, could I ask the Prime Minister, is the Prime Minister aware of the major disruption that is occurring within the NHS hospitals in Northern Ireland and in parts of Britain as well at the 1st of August next by the introduction of the hospital doctor training programme known as Modernising Medical Careers? And would he advise the Secretary of State to postpone the programme for a year until some of the administrative problems are sorted out? Yes, we are aware of these problems, which is precisely why the, the review has been announced, so that we make sure this happens in a, a better way for, for, for next year. And, I mean, I do understand entirely both the complexities, that, the complexities of, of the system that has been introduced and the need to make sure that it accords properly with the needs of the healthcare system in Northern Ireland and elsewhere. I would point out, however that as a result of the, the measures we've taken, I think in Northern Ireland and elsewhere in the United Kingdom, we have had a huge increase in the number of junior doctors, in the number, I think, a 70% increase in the number of training places, and, of course, the pay has gone up in real terms by something like 30%. Sunmingus Campbell. I join the Prime Minister in his expressions of sympathy and condolence. This is, I think, a bleak and sombre day. 
The Prime Minister will be aware that nurses' leaders are threatening strike action in relation to the Chancellor's pay offer. Can he explain why nurses in England and Wales are not getting their full increase up front? For the reasons that the Chancellor gave, which is in order to make sure um, that we deal with the issues overall of pay within the economy, it is important that we stage the awards. However, those awards will mean on average, as I understand it, there will be an over 4% increase for nurses. And if I can just point out to them that when we came to office, um, the starting pay for a nurse, I think, was just over £12,000 for, a, for a, a nurse just starting in their profession. It's now almost £20,000. There's been a huge real terms increase in the pay for nurses over the past 10 years. There's also, incidentally, been an 85,000 increase in the numbers of nurses. So I entirely understand why staging award is never popular, but it is, in this instance, necessary. It's not just pay that's at issue in the National Health Service. Newly qualified nurses can't get jobs. Nursing assistants will be hit by the Chancellor's abolition of the 10 pence tax rate, and junior doctors are up in arms. Is it any wonder that the government has lost the confidence of healthcare workers and their patients? Actually, I think if we look back over the last 10 years, it's instructive, for example, just in the last um, few weeks, there was the publication of the annual winter report into the NHS. And he will know that under the last years of the Conservative government, even indeed in the first years of this government, there was every single winter a winter crisis. There hasn't been one for several years. Why? Because of the extra investment and the extra capacity. No. And if we look at waiting times, if we look at the investment in the National Health Service, if we look at the treatment of cancer or cardiac disease or accident and emergency departments, the truth is the patient is getting a better deal in the National Health Service today, and they're getting a deal precisely because of the investment and reform that we put in. Will the Prime Minister please join me in sending condolences to the family of Eden Galvani-Skeet, a beautiful six-year-old girl who burnt to death in Turkey last summer, and assist the family in getting justice from the Turkish authorities and making sure those responsible are brought to trial? Yeah. Well, first of all, can I say to um, the Honourable Gentleman that um, I'm sure the whole House will want to join him in sending our condolences to Eden's family. I understand that the Deputy Head of Mission and British Vice Council at our Embassy called the Minister of the Turkish Ministry of Tourism on the 8th of February to raise our concern about the general safety of British nationals in unsupervised shows such as this. And I can also tell them that the Turkish authorities have started legal proceedings against some members of staff at the hotel complex. The next hearing is scheduled for the 8th of May. And consular staff in London have remained in contact with the Galvani Skeet family and are keeping them updated with any news from the court case in Turkey. And we will continue to do that up to and all the way through the proceedings. David Taylor. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Question four, please. I have no current plans to do so. Last, last Sunday on the BBC politics programme, the uh, Prime Minister gave an excellent summary of the myriad benefits delivered by our government's domestic policies since 1997, but I was alarmed by his assertion that all English secondary schools should become soon academies or trust schools. If he comes to North West last year, before late June, will he meet the governors of Ibstock Community College to tell us why an excellent, accessible, genuinely comprehensive school should pursue this policy path and risk 
distancing ourselves from the local community or being taken over for a knockdown price by the richest local bidder? First of all, uh, let me thank him very much for, for his, his kind words about the, the record on uh, education. Of course, it is true that, for example, when we came to power, I think there were only just over 80 secondary schools in the whole of the country getting 70% five good GCSEs. The figure is now over 600. Um, the reason I believe in the future, and it's a choice, of course, that, that most secondary schools will indeed, or all secondary schools will become trust or academy schools, is because they benefit from that partnership. But let me just say this to him, that in benefiting from that partnership, the academy schools and trust schools remain with a fully comprehensive intake. And indeed, if you look at academy schools, actually they've got a higher percentage of their pupils on school meal than the average secondary, on free school meals, than the average secondary school. But the fact is one of the reasons why we have increased results dramatically since 1997 has been this ability to have partnerships with outside bodies. Specialist schools were the first step in that. People at the time said they would spell the end of the comprehensive system. They didn't. And of course, he's got four excellent specialist schools in his own constituency. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. When it comes to who should be the next Prime Minister, the Environment Secretary. The, uh, the Environment Secretary has now ruled himself out. So, will the Prime Minister now explicitly endorse the Chancellor? Well, I'm afraid, once again, I have to disappoint him and others because I will make my decision. I will make my statement. I will make my statement at the time that I decide to stand down. However, let me just say to him, I would say after yesterday's debate, he should be more. And the absolute and comprehensive drubbing that the Chancellor gave the Tory front bench. I would be rather more worried about the leadership potential on his side than on this. If the, if the Prime Minister thinks the Chancellor did such a good job, why didn't he turn up and vote for him? <laughs> Too busy. I'm not asking the Prime Minister to say anything new. Before the coup last year, the Prime Minister said this, I'm absolutely happy that Gordon will be my successor. Why can't he repeat those words now? Yeah, yeah. reasons that I've just given him. However, I would say to him this, that, that, that what he will have learned and I think the Conservative Party will have learnt from yesterday's debate, is that when, when, it, when it comes to serious policy on the economy, on health, on education, on law and orders, this side has the serious answers to the serious questions, and he's not at the races. Interesting thing, Mr. Speaker, he will not endorse the Chancellor. Now, on this side of the House, we know why we don't want the Chancellor. He's complicated the tax system, virtually bankrupted the pension system, he's impossible to work with, he never says sorry, that's why we don't want the Chancellor. What do you think's wrong with him? <laughs> Let me tell him what's right with him. <laughs> Let me tell him what's right with him. I mean, he's got some experience of the economy, hasn't he? Yeah, well, no, we remember. He, he had something to do with the British economy once, didn't he? Back in 1992. There he was. He was the special advisor, advising the Chancellor at the time. We remember Black Wednesday. This is the Chancellor that's delivered the strongest economic growth this country's ever seen. Interest rates half the levels of the previous Conservative government. 
the highest ever employment, the lowest unemployment for years, rising living standards. And what's he delivered for the British economy? A bit part on Black Wednesday. Gordon Banks. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The council tax in Scotland raises just over £2 billion. Increasing income tax by three pence in the pound would raise £1 billion. This would leave a shortfall in excess of £1 billion. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that introducing such a scheme would, in, would lead to massive cuts in public services or further? Uh, tax hikes in other unforeseen areas? Well, it, it, it is the, the, the policy, which is why we will not adopt it, of replacing the council tax in Scotland with a, a 3p in the pound rise in the basic rate of income tax is quite apart from the shortfall in the money which would leave um, public services short of several hundred million pounds. There's the fact, and this is the reason why a local income tax is such a bad idea, in my view, is that if you are a two-earner couple in a household, or even worse, a three-earner couple in a household, you will be hit heavily as a result of the local income tax. And that is why I believe people reject that policy on May the 3rd. Norman Baker. Um, under this government, Mr. Speaker, we now have uh, millions of innocent people added to the DNA database, the largest in the world. We've got people locked up without trial for 28 days. He wanted 90. We've got free speech banned outside Parliament. We've got the routine fingerprinting of children in schools and plans to curb trial by jury and force ID cards on us. And yet last year, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister said, I don't want to live in a police state or a big brother society or put any of our essential freedoms in jeopardy. Isn't it time the Prime Minister had some consistency between what he said and what he does? Anyway, I, um, I, I, I gather from, uh, from that rant he's not entirely in favour of my position on these issues, but let me just let me explain to him, since I, I, I caught at least one part of it, which is to do with the DNA database. Let me explain why this is an important policy for the country and for fighting crime. As a result of the DNA database, we are being able now to match samples, sometimes several hundred, even several thousand a month. As a result of that, we are solving murders, rapes, some of the most serious burglaries and assaults uh, that take place, and it is absolutely essential. We use the new technology, like CCTV and other things, in order to make sure we make our country safer. And the idea that by allowing us to do that, and therefore, for example, solve some of the unsolved murders from some years ago, we are creating a police state, just shows how far the Liberal Democrats are out of touch with the reality. Ben Chapman. Um, with the um, ever-increasing uh, rise in house values, the prospect of further interest rate increases, and the Halifax telling us that it's difficult for key workers to find homes in some of our towns, can the Prime Minister assure me that the government is doing all that it can to ensure that key workers, young people and first-time buyers can get on the property ladder without incurring punitive and potentially dangerous levels of borrowing? I think the, the issue that my uh, honourable friend 
raises is obviously a, a, a crucial issue for the country. And what is interesting uh, for, for his constituency up in the Wirral is that this is not just a problem of uh, London and the South East. And in truth, we have to do three things. We have to invest more in social housing, which we are doing. We have to improve the availability of shared equity schemes, since I think those will be of great help, particularly to young couples buying their first home. But we also have to make available land for development. And the simple truth is that unless we're prepared to make greater land available for development and build the homes that people need, then prices will be even higher for people. And what is very obvious is that for many young couples, they're finding it a tremendous struggle to get their feet on the first rungs of the housing ladder. But we can't solve this unless we're prepared to take the difficult decisions about housing supply. The Reverend Dean Paisley. Could I associate myself and my, my friends on these benches uh, to the remarks already made? from both the front benches about those who have given their lives for our freedom. Could I ask the Prime Minister, is he going to come uh, to the opening of the, the new Parliament or new uh, Assembly and the new regime that's going to, to come into order on the 8th of May, a firm date that is not going to be changed because of because the people of Ulster have set it in stone, not any of his ministers. And could I, could I, could I say to him, although it is the birthday of his very hard-working Home Secretary, I'm not asking him to come and celebrate his birthday in Northern Ireland. I'm coming him to join in Northern Ireland and with the Northern Ireland people that part of the United Kingdom is going to have a government the same way as Wales, and Scotland has had. And I think it is his duty as Prime Minister to be there after all the work he did on this matter. Well, it's not absolutely universal in my experience that people actually want me to come and visit a particular part of the country or their constituency, but I thank him very kindly for that invitation and certainly we have it well in mind, let me say that. Kitty Usher. Will the Prime Minister join me in paying tribute to the nurses, doctors and other health professionals in my constituency whose hard work and dedication has contributed to a 37% fall in mortality rates from heart disease since 1997? Presuming he agrees, like, agrees with me that this is also due to the sustained rise in investment in the NHS, will he guarantee today not to threaten that investment by an irresponsible policy of sharing the proceeds of economic growth between tax cuts and public spending. Well, of course, the point that my honourable friend is making is correct in the sense that the, the winter report, uh, which I mentioned just a moment or two ago, what it indicates, for example, are things like um, the number of cancelled operations down in the last few years by something in the region of 30 percent, uh, hugely improved rates of people being seen quickly for cancer treatment in accidents in the emergency departments. But it's true at the same time, and this is what I'm afraid even apparently the Conservative Party don't realise anymore, is you do need to make changes and reforms in the way the health service works. And that is for the reason in the report published today by Professor Dazai, which shows very, very clearly that as a result of the changes in the NHS, we are moving to a system where more care is done in the community, where the number of day cases is rising 
and has risen by something like a million to a million and a half cases extra a year being done in that way, where people could often get day case surgery for things that previously they had to spend days in hospital. And so we're having to change the healthcare system at the same time. But it is inevitable that we do that. And if we manage to carry on making the improvement, then in her constituency and in others, by the end of next year, we will have a maximum outpatient, diagnostic, inpatient treatment, maximum of 18 weeks and an average of eight weeks. And that will be a fundamental change from what we inherited in 1997, when people were often waiting a year or 18 months or more just on the inpatient list. Damon Hughes. Speaker, following his last answer on housing, is the Prime Minister aware that official figures show that over the 10 years of the Labour government, average earnings across Britain have gone up 41%, but average house prices have gone up 169%, more than four times as much? Isn't the truth for the millions of people in terrible housing debt, or not even able to get onto the housing ladder at all, that one fundamental thing hasn't changed. Well, it is correct that living standards have gone up, and it's correct also that house prices have gone up significantly. I agree with that. But the answer to it is, as I was just saying a moment or two ago, that we must be prepared to release more land for development, do more brownfield development, which of course we're doing as a government. But what we cannot have is a situation, with the greatest respect to him and the Liberal Democrats, where the Liberal Democrats will say there should be more housing, but then locally Liberal Democrats oppose every development there is. And in the end, I'm afraid, they, like the Conservatives, have got to understand that if you want to deal with these problems, there are hard decisions that have to be taken in government, and the truth is we take them. What is his response to the campaign by speeding motorists against the £15 surcharge imposed uh, on court fines to provide services for victims of crime? Well, it's this surcharge that is actually paying for a whole range of victim and witness services. Um, for example, some £3 million for witness care units and some £3 million for independent domestic violence advisers. And the result of that is that, for example, if victims feel a greater degree of comfort going and giving evidence in court, then they're more likely to get convictions of those that are guilty. And, of course, in respect of domestic violence, one of the reasons why we have brought significantly down the levels of domestic violence is because we are giving greater support to people who need to bring these cases to court. So I think the surcharge, although very controversial at the time, is yet another example of a difficult decision that's fully justified. Um, is the Prime Minister aware of the widespread hospital closures throughout Wales? And is he also aware that the BMA in Wales have called for an independent review of the working of the Barnet formula to see whether Wales is short-changed, as many of us believe? Whilst, whilst, the, whilst, the Prime Minister, whilst the Prime Minister ponders on that, may I echo what the Right Honourable Gentleman said? May I warmly invite him to visit Wales as many times as he can between now and May the 3rd? Because his presence in Wales will uh, dramatically affect voting patterns. Well, can I just tell him, first of all, when he says that we've been uh, cutting back on um, NHS investment in Wales, actually we've increased NHS investment in Wales enormously. There are ten new hospital schemes that are coming to Wales. Um, waiting times have come down. People get vastly improved treatment and they get it faster. 
And they get it precisely because of the investment that a strong economy has allowed us to deliver. And the truth of the matter is the policies of his party, and he, he, he wants to go into, uh, he's the Welsh nationalist leader, wants to go into coalition with the Tories, isn't he? That's right. I, I, I remember now, yes, that's right. He wants to join a ragbag coalition with the Tories. Well, if he thinks the people of Wales believe the Tories are better at running the health service than us, then it's him who's going to be worried on May the 3rd. Guardian Unlimited.